Take your Bibles this morning, turn, if you would please, to Matthew and chapter number five. That's where we're going to be here this morning, Matthew chapter number five. Uh, one has said that everyone who has heard of Jesus and knows anything about what he taught, what he preached, would likely be familiar with what we're reading here today, or a portion of it, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular, the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, as it's often referred to as, blessed are the supreme joy or happinesses of those, and Jesus describes what really is counter-cultural. It's not what you typically find, well, in us. You, you just don't find it in, in, in mankind apart from God's working. And so we're going to see that here today and and uh, the same individual said that the wealth of this is inexhaustible. I mean, it, it doesn't matter how many times you study this, you can just keep coming back to it and you're going to, you're going to find something there that is going to be helpful to you. And so last week we considered the first four of the eight, there are eight, what we consider uh, beatitudes, blessed are, and then he describes those that God uh, blesses. Uh, and uh, the first four we saw uh, describe for us uh, what it means to be right with God. How, what does it take? What does it take to be right with God? And uh, once we get that down, what, is right, what it means to be right with God, then, watch this, we can learn what it means to be right with man, right with one another. Um, and so I, I've, I've come across that thought several times, not just in this study, but in, in other recent studies, some overlap, and I count that to be providential, and I look forward to trying to get that across here this morning. So let's read our text. Verse 1, it says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. All right, Jesus did. The multitudes were there from a region all around that area of the Sea of Galilee, multitudes of people. He went up into a mountain, and when he was set, when he was sitting, when he was in place, the Bible says that his disciples came unto him. So this is a message that is directed towards those that would want to follow the Lord Jesus. And we get to listen in on it. And so it's set apart in that way. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Verse 7 begins our actual text, though I'd like to take some time to review those first four because I believe they are so important uh, to our understanding and application of the next four. And so now we read verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, we need that today, right? <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall uh, be called the children of God. So then verse 9, we go from peacemakers to verse 10. Blessed are, are they which are persecuted. Isn't that ironic? The peacemakers, same group would be the persecuted. Blessed are they which are persecuted 
for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says this, blessed are ye, notice this, when men shall revile you. He did not say, blessed are ye, if men revile you. He says, when is expected. When. When men revile you, shall revile you, and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you. Here's the key. Falsely. Falsely. Now, if you've done wrong, then you've got something coming to you. Right? But here it's falsely. For my sake... Well, how should you re, how should you respond when when reviled and slandered and chased? Rejoice <laughs> and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are in good company. So this morning. Um, our series, Jesus is King. That's what we're considering here from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is King. And this is a part two. So the counter-cultural character of those who follow Christ. Counter-culture. If you follow Jesus, it will take you counter-culture. Cultural. And this is part two. What it takes to be right with those around us, what it takes to be right with those around us, regardless of their response, right? Because persecution is real. Last night I played a little bit of basketball because my boys were playing basketball and they had a father versus son's game and I thought that was persecution, <laughs> right? That's what I felt like. But that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, persecution. And I'm not, I, uh, I hope we can get that far. Um, there's a lot to consider here. There's a lot to consider. So I'm going to trust God to bless His Word as you're seated. We're going to get to these last four of the Beatitudes. I'm looking back at the Sunday School series that Brother Sam did along the way, just using it basically as another resource in terms of almost commentary on these Beatitudes and, and his approach in that Sunday School series and actually in a preaching series many years ago was that he would do uh, one of these Beatitudes each week. So obviously there's a lot more time that you can spend. We're doing four at a time. So we're, we're moving rather quickly. But I look back at that, and in particular, the lesson on blessed are the peacemakers. And he had some interesting stats there that I thought could help to help us this morning to get started as to the text that we're considering. In the 3,500 years of recorded history, uh, just dating back and from the time reference that he was doing that in terms of recent modern history, uh, the world has been without war only 286 years, only 8% of the time. In that same amount of time, well over 8,000 peace treaties have been broken. Armatists signed on November the 11th, 1918 to stop the fighting of World War I. Uh, that's when that was done. Since then, for every year of war, there have been 20 minutes of peace. What do you think of that? <laughs> 
Uh, he also referenced this. I'm actually reading a book on the history of, of Israel and, and David Ben-Gurion and, and all the others that are involved in that, uh, Theodore Herzl and, and so forth. Uh, in Israel becoming a nation in 1948, they, they became, they gained their independence from Great Britain, 1948. And I mean, the day they signed their Declaration of Independence or gained their independence, that very day they were preparing for war. Literally. So they signed, they, they declared independence in 1948. An Arab war followed that, that was ended by a treaty on, so they signed that, I believe it was in May. I, I didn't jot that down, but it, they signed that treaty that ended that particular war in June, uh, June 11th, 1948. Um, another war broke out in July. It was ended by another treaty in July, July of 18th. July 18th of 1948. That lasted until October when another fight broke out and there was another truce on, Ju on February the 24th, 1949. Israel signed a truce with their enemies that lasted seven years. 1956, another treaty. 1967, the six days, six day war and another treaty. 1970, another treaty. 1973 and another treaty. 1980, another treaty and on and on it goes. And then Brother Sam in Brother Sam's style said, peace, you've got to be kidding, right? The only solution to world peace is our Lord. Who said this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, not as the world giveth. Give I unto you, he said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Paul said of Jesus, having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, by the Lord Jesus, to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. He is our peace, Paul said in Ephesians. Jesus is our peace, who hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And listen, our, our source of peace between God and man and between man and man is the Lord Jesus Christ. I tried to quote it last week, wrote it down, and, and hopefully can quote it a little bit more uh, accurately here this week. To live above with saints we love, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, that's another story. <laughs> How can you have peace with one another? How can you get along as a husband and wife? Anybody ever had trouble with that? How can you get along with parents and teens? And how can you get along with, with, um, with uh, well, two-year-olds, <laughs> right? How can you get along with somebody at work? How can you get along with, with people here within the church? Uh, what does it take? What does it take to be right with people that are around us? What does it take? Well, that's what uh, is conveyed here in this passage. And I'm very excited about trying to get to that main idea of the text. But if you would allow me to do a little bit of, of review, and, and I don't want to make it tedious for anybody, including me or you, just review. But if we don't understand the first four, we're really going to be off on the last four. Okay, so I want to just briefly go back over those and, and to demonstrate what Jesus is, is talking about here as it sets us up to know how then, how can I be right with those that are around me? Do you, number one, do you want to be right with people that are around you? Do you, do you want to get along? You say, I'm not really interested in that. Well, I'm not sure that I can help you here today. 
right? But do you want to get along with your family members? Do you want to get along with your friends? Do you want to get along with fellow church members? Then we need what Jesus said, which here's the point, actually, whether you want to or not, and I think that you do, but whether you want to or not, the Lord wants us to because as a church, we're to be salt and light to a world that desperately needs to know what does it look like? For people with different backgrounds, different races, different cultures, what does it look like for them to get along in America today? Would you say that's something that we desperately need? Certainly. And the, the world around us ought to be able to look at church and say, you know, they love one another there. They greet one another there. I, I see Asian people get along with, with uh, Caucasian people. I see Hispanic people and black people. And, and I see all kinds of different nationalities here. Hey, thanks be to God for that because God can do that. Man's at strife. Man's at war with one another. Man has opposing ideas. Man has opposing values. And by the way, it's not peace at any cost. It's, it's not peace at the cost of compromise or, or lowering God's standards. No, 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 friend. That's not what it is. We're not locking arms and saying kumbaya and forgetting doctrine. No, not at all. That's not what Jesus said to do. But Jesus is saying right here that I'll show you how to get along with one another, but you got to be my disciples, see? Blessed are the poor in spirit, he said. Blessed are those who understand they don't have anything at all to offer God. I'm telling you this morning, I'm not trying to be offensive to you, but I'm telling you the truth that you and I, we don't have a thing to offer God. We don't. There's not anything good in us. That, that the Bible says that that is in me. There's no good thing. There's none good. No, not one. Sometimes I'll ask somebody, hey, how you doing? And, and, and they'll tell me and they'll ask, how are you doing? I'm saying, I'm good. And, and they say, you know, there's none good. No, not one. I thought, well, that's not what I meant. We're talking about morally. Hey, listen, you were born as a sinner. That's why you need to be born again. You say, what do you mean born again? I mean born from above. I'm not physically born again. Like, okay, can I get a redo? Right? Can I push reset? Can I, can I start over? You ever want to start over? Well, through Jesus Christ, actually, you get new life. You do, you get a new birth from above. It's a spiritual birth. See, we were born dead in trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy with his great love, wherewith he has loved us, he's given us salvation full and free through the person of Jesus Christ. But you've got to come empty and say, I don't have any righteousness, but I want to receive what he would give me. I'm telling you, he'll give it to you. And be saved. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And, but here he's talking not, not to the lost, but he's actually talking to his disciples. In the context, he's speaking to those that, that are born again, that are saved. But listen, even though you've been born into his family, that does not mean that you have something to offer God because you wouldn't have a thing to offer God had he not given it to you. See, it's the Holy Spirit of God that works in us. It's his word that is in us. It, it is his, his presence, sorry. It is his presence that, that is working in us. I mean, he's working in us. He, he began a good work in you at the day of your salvation and he is going to finish that good work till the day of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. He begins a process of change in your life. He's working in us and, and you got to recognize, God, I, don't, I, I can't do this. I, I'm not up to this challenge. I can't handle this trial. I need your help. Blessed are those that recognize they need God's help. He does not say blessed are the self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-initiated. No, he said blessed are the poor in spirit. 
those that recognize they need God because they, theirs is the kingdom of God. Listen, it was not the Pharisees. It was not, it was not the zealots that he was going to give the kingdom to that would take it by force. No, it was those that formerly were harlots and drunkards and those that were vile men and women of society of ill repute. And thank God he also saves some Pharisees that will repent of their sins along the way as well. Leonard Ravenhill said this, today God is bypassing men, not because they are too ignorant, but because they are too self-sufficient. Brethren, our abilities are our handicaps and our talents are our stumbling blocks. But blessed are the poor in spirit. There's a progression here that I want to reiterate. There's a progression. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he says, blessed are they that mourn. And he's not talking about those that mourn because they've lost a loved one and they're going to be comforted, though certainly our Savior is compassionate and cares about those that have lost someone. He does. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. And, and so blessed are those that are comforted by God. He's the God of all comfort. I get that. But in the context of what he's saying here is that those that are poor in spirit, they recognize that they are sinners and, and they also mourn over their own sin. Are you listening to me here today? Is this making sense? They mourn over their own sin, but they also mourn over the sin of their society. And they say, oh, dear God, this is wrong what we've been doing. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I, I, uh, I, uh, I'm afraid today, folks, that there is a terrible attitude towards sin. Nobody's perfect. Well, you got that right, but don't use that as an excuse. There is one perfect. His name is Jesus, and he'll be your judge someday. You better be right with him. Uh, times are changing. Times are changing. And, and then this attitude, are, are we doing all right here this morning? It's no big deal. Some say it's no big deal. Pfft, no big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. Or somebody says this, I was born that way. Yeah, that's right. I was born in sin too. But he called on me to repent. And he calls on you to repent. And he calls on you to place faith in Christ. And when he calls on you to place faith in Christ, then he intends to change you. So don't, don't play that card and say, well, I was born this way. No, no, in many ways you were, but, but don't, don't play that like you somehow get some kind of a sin-free card. Or, well, what may be wrong for you is not wrong for me. Well, you know, really what I think doesn't really matter, but what God thinks does matter. Okay. Who made you judge? I'm not judge, he is. I'm glad we've had this conversation. I'm just simply saying it, there's a wrong attitude. Jesus says, he, he didn't say blessed are those that excuse sin. Blessed are those that can somehow rewrite law to make sin okay. No, he didn't say that. Blessed are those that mourn. I think we better get our tears back. Christ mourned over sin. Poor in spirit, mourning over sin. And then he says, it's blessed are the meek. So those that mourn recognize that they are sinners. And thus the progression would be this. Blessed are the meek. They don't mind when other people point out their sin. I spoke at a marriage retreat yesterday, uh, Friday and, and Saturday. And uh, had a man from Arkansas and my dad's from Arkansas. And, and so I'm, I'm kind of partial to folks from Arkansas. 
You know, they get picked on quite a bit, I guess, right? Just like their cousins in Kentucky, right? But, uh, you know, this man, uh, I could tell he, he was, uh, well, could I just say it? He's probably a redneck, you know. I'm not trying to be offensive, but, uh, you know, because, I, I mean, my family, that's where we came from. I mean, I, I wish I could, and not, not to make fun of him, but I love it. He reminded me so much of one of my cousins. And he said, I just, I just want to thank you for what you had to say. <laughs> and, uh, man, he was thick. You know, I'm not, I mean, thick in the sense of, like, he was, you could tell that man had, he'd probably drug a few deer out of the woods <laughs> or pulled a few tractors or something. I don't know, but... I mean, you can just tell as a heart, but, but he, he came up and he said, I just want to tell you that helped me. And, and he, he said something along the lines of it hurt me, but it helped me. Blessed are the meek. Um, can I, can I read a little bit of a lengthy quote for you? I know I've got another sermon to preach, but could you just bear with me here just a moment? A.W. Tozer said this, the labor of self-love is a heavy one. The burden of self-love is a heavy one indeed. Think for yourself whether much of your sorrow has not arisen from someone speaking slight, slightingly of you. As long as you set up yourself as a little God to which you must be loyal, there will be those who delight to offer affront to your idol. Is anybody connecting what he's saying right there? I mean, I could be that way. I could get defensive. My wife points something out. I don't like it when she does. Who is she to think that she? Well, what happened is she just violated the laws of my kingdom. Huh? All right. How then can you hope to have inward peace? The heart's fierce effort to protect itself of every slight to shield its touchy honor from the bad opinion of friend and enemy will never let the mind rest. Continue this fight through the years and the burden will become intolerable. Yet the sons of earth are carrying this burden continually, challenging every word spoken against them, cringing under every criticism, smarting under every fancied slight, tossing sleepless if another is preferred before them. Such a burden as this is not necessary to bear. Gee, listen to this. This is so good. Did you understand what he's saying? If you've laid at night, awake at night thinking, why did he get that job? Why did she say that about me? Why did they post that? Jesus calls us to rest and meekness is his method. The meek man cares not at all who is greater than he, for he has long ago decided that the esteem of this world is not worth the effort. Amen. He develops toward himself a kindly sense of humor and learns to say, oh, so you've been overlooked, talking to yourself. You ever do that? Oh, is everybody still with me here? Oh, so you've been overlooked. They've They've placed someone else before you. They've whispered that you are pretty small stuff after all. And now you feel hurt because the world is saying about the, you the very things that you've been saying about yourself. 
Only yesterday, you were telling God that you were nothing, a mere worm of the dust. Where's your consistency? <laughs> Come on, humble yourself and cease to care what men think. Blessed are the meek. Isn't that good? Okay, so poor in spirit, mourning over sin, meek, not minded, not, not defensive when, when they get their toes stepped on even in church. Right? Not, not, not feeling like their kingdom has been violated because somebody confronted them about wrong, but they recognize and say, thank you, I needed that. I needed that help. I'm appreciative of that. And, but then this, once you get things right with God, you want things to stay right with God. And so blessed are those, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I, I know that I've messed up, but I thank God that he's forgiven me and I've been forgive, I've been comforted by the forgiveness of God, but I don't want to go there again. Oh, Oh God, help me want you. Amen. Hungering, thirsting after righteousness, not my own way. You see, what I'm saying to you here today by way of even just simple review is this, is that that is what God is working in us. What does it take uh, to, to be right with God? It takes that humility, that mourning over sin, that meekness and that hungering and thirst over, uh, for righteousness. And when God is working in us, see, now he's able to work out of us what he worked in us. So the way, what it takes, if you're listening here this morning, I think this will be a help to you. What it takes, uh, it takes rather an outworking of what God has done in us to be right with those that are around us. It takes an outworking. Do you understand what I mean by that? An outworking, like God's done something in me that he might do something through me. It's an outworking. Paul said, work out your own salvation. Doesn't mean you have to work for your salvation, but he says this, once you're saved, then you need to work out the implications of what it means to be saved in your daily life. See, Because it is God that worketh in you, but the will and do of his good pleasure. So what God has worked in you, let him work out of you, and then you'll be right with people that are all around you. Because these next four, here in this second sermon have to do with my relationship with others. Blessed, he says, are the merciful. Blessed are those that have mercy on others. But blessed are those, blessed are those that remember that they themselves were sinners and thus they are in a position and able to have compassion on other sinners without condoning sin because there is a pseudo mercy. A pseudo mercy says, well, I'll just let that go because it's easier to let it go. No, sin has to be dealt with. But blessed are the merciful, blessed are the merciful. Hey, I'm telling you here this morning, their culture, just like our culture, because if the world acts like the world really is, the world is not merciful. Rome, the culture in which Jesus spoke this, Rome was not known for its mercy. Rome was cruel. The Pharisees, remember Jesus, a big part of his sermon here. In fact, in one verse, in chapter 6 and verse number 9 it is, I believe, that he says this, be not like unto them. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, looking down their long nose at others, they were down on others and they were not merciful to sinners, but our Savior was merciful to sinners. 
without compromising. And Jesus says, blessed are those that are merciful. Blessed are those that, that, that forgive others. You can't really be blessed if you're hanging on to something that he wants you to forgive. Mercy, it got quiet in here. It's true, isn't it? But he says this, blessed are those that will show mercy to those that, are sin that have sinned. Blessed are those that show mercy to those that are hurting. I like what John Stott said when he said this, nothing proves more clearly that we have been forgiven than our readiness to forgive. Blessed are the merciful. Okay, watch this now. If God has done something here, if I'm right here, then I can be right here. I can be right horizontally. But if I'm not right here, if I'm not poor in spirit and I'm not mourning over sin and I'm not meek and I'm not hungry and thirsting over righteousness, I guarantee you what's going to happen. You're not going to be merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the next one, pure in heart. Verse number eight, blessed are the pure in heart. Pure, clean, free from sin. Blessed are the pure in heart. Yeah, I realize we can't be free of sin in this life. We're gonna deal with sin because we are still dealing with the sin nature, but it's free from dirt, free from wrong. How about this? Blessed are those who are good in God's eyes. Blessed are those that have made it. Hang on, everybody listen to this. Blessed are those that have made it their life pursuit to be pleasing to God. Pure in heart. In heart. It's got to start right there. It's not external. It's in heart. And then it finds its way out. Blessed are the pure in heart. The word is interesting because it could mean two things. It could be mean, meaning ceremonial cleanness or, or outward cleanness. But you can be outwardly clean and morally corrupt, inwardly corrupt. But he says, blessed are the pure in heart. And so the word has this idea of unmixed, single, single-mindedness. I've got one goal in life and that's to please God. Blessed are those right there. Because they'll see God at work in their life. Because they'll see God. Right. And I like to get a big vision of God. No, but it just simply means this. They see that God made all this. Right. And they see God work in their life. And they see God working in other people's lives. Blessed are the pure in heart. The idea I believe here, because it's in the context of these interpersonal relationships, is, is this. Blessed are those who are not hypocritical. Blessed are those who are not two-faced, but blessed are those that are pure in their motives, pure in heart, that they, that they are, here, here's a good word, sincere. Blessed are those that are sincere, for they shall see God. See, purity and a clear conscience produces joy. If you've mixed some are right with some are wrong, you don't sleep well at night. Or you might just because you're a heavy sleeper, but don't mess up my illustration here. What I'm saying is, is there's something unsettled of you in you. I mean, Samson evidently was a heavy sleeper to get his hair cut and everything else that happened to him. But I'm, I'm telling you, he wasn't at peace with God because he wasn't pure in heart. Purity brings joy because things are right. You can't enjoy something when it's not right. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
Okay, so we're being merciful to people. That is what Christians ought to do. I'm saying to you today, before moving on, if there's somebody that has wronged you here, then you ought to be merciful to them. Approach them and tell them where they've been wrong and, and then give them mercy. Don't withhold it. That's not Christ-like. Uh, I thought we were ready to move on, but maybe not. Aren't you glad that Christ was willing to be merciful to you? You say, yeah, but they don't deserve it. Oh, and so you actually did deserve his mercy. Well, that just kind of shut that argument down, didn't it? Blessed are the merciful, he says, and, and blessed are the pure in heart, those that are real with one another and, and sincere. And, and then he says this, blessed are the peacemaker. Blessed are those that restore broken relationships. He did not say, blessed are the argumentative. He did not say, blessed are the divisive. Satan is the great divider. You will not have peace with God and be blessed by God if you're divisive. God is the great peacemaker. He reconciled us unto himself. I notice that the text does not say, blessed are the peace fakers. You know what I mean? Sometimes I can be a peace faker. I can act like everything's okay because I don't want to go with the pain of dealing with confrontation. Hello. Blessed are the peace fakers. No, that's not what he says. And then he also says this. He doesn't say this. I'm sorry. He doesn't say, blessed are the peace breakers. Blessed are those that just lay into everybody. Blessed are those that just give everybody a piece of their mind. No, I'm telling you, those that give everybody a piece of their mind soon run out of their mind. They were probably out of their mind before they said it. But I'm telling you that if you think that you're the one that's supposed to straighten everybody out and, and that you are giving everybody a piece of your mind, you don't have peace in your heart. He says, not blessed are the peace fakers. There, there's two extremes here. Peace fakers, peace breakers. It's peacemakers. It's not, he didn't say, blessed are those that prove they're right. Blessed are those that win the next argument. I'm telling you, every time that Angie and I have gotten into an argument, I'm not giving personal testimony here today with great specifics. But I have not felt blessed when I finally got her. I sure didn't feel good when she got me, right? But that's not the issue. The issue is we, listen, I'm telling you, friend, Satan works to divide your marriage. He works to divide your parent-child relationship. He works to divide the relationship between members of this church. He wants to drive a wedge because God's the great reconciler. He is the great divider. And if he can get you opposed to somebody that you're supposed to be in, in love with and supposed to be loving towards, then he is gaining momentum in his agenda. And so Jesus said, listen, let God work in you. Don't fight your brother. Don't fight your sister. Don't fight your spouse, your child, your grandchild, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, the person down the street. Don't stand up and fight for what is yours and, and what you think is right. Wait a minute. Blessed are the peacemakers. My wife feels love when she knows I'm not trying to win the next argument. She feels love when I'm trying to understand where she's coming from. 
You say, okay, right there, that part is the impossible part, right? Is the difficult part to understand, to understand as a man, as a man dare I tread there. No, I, I, I understand that. I don't, I, we think differently. You think differently than other people. We all think differently. And yet, nonetheless, listen, hang on. If we're letting God work in us and he's stirring us up, then I can respond with humility and kindness and peacefulness rather than. Amen. I would acknowledge there is pain associated with peacemaking. It is painful to ask for forgiveness. Nobody here wants you. You know why? Because we're not poor in spirit. But well, we just went all the way back. Do I need to re-preach that message again? Hey, look, we don't want to admit, I don't want to say I'm wrong. I'm sorry, Angie. I'm not saying that like about a specific thing right now. I'm just illustration right here before all these witnesses. But <laughs> it's not... Now, I remember Noah Broughton one time. I, I heard about this. I wasn't there, but Noah Broughton pastors in, in eastern Kentucky in Somerset area. And, and he, he said, folks, folks, you're, you're just going to have to excuse us here just a minute. I, I've got some things that's not right. I wish you knew him. I wish you could hear his accent coming through here. I've got some things that's not right with my wife right now. And I, I want the song leader to come up and I want him to lead this, the next song. And I'm going to go down here and I'm going to talk to Miss B and I'm going to get some things right. What did they sing? The fight is on. No. <laughs> Rescue the perishing, right? <laughs> Just as I am. <laughs> now, I don't know what they say. Amazing grace is what they needed, right? But I, I appreciate that. Now, now, that took a lot of courage, but I tell you what, that really took humbleness of of mind and, and, and poor in spirit and mourning over sin and meekness and hunger and thirst after righteousness. He, it took somebody that was willing to be merciful and somebody that needed mercy evidently. And it, it took somebody that was pure in heart. He wasn't, he wasn't, being up, he wasn't up here being too duplicit. Now, I, I'll, I'll tell you this, I'll guarantee you this. Angie and I had to do a lot of getting right before I go preach somewhere. In fact, I get real nervous when somebody asks me to do a marriage retreat. I really, I'm, ser I'm serious. I get nervous before and after because I know that I'm standing up there trying to tell people, you know, how to have a godly marriage. I'm telling you, in fact, I really think Satan, Satan attacks during those times because he's going to put in your mind, who do you think you are trying to tell other people how to have a marriage? And you know what? You know how it was right here? So I admire Brother Broughton and, and, and may God give me grace. If that's what it takes in a song service, come down here and make sure things are right. Then I, I really do need to do that. We have to work through things and, and it's, it's not easy. It takes work. It's painful being a peacemaker on both parts. But blessed are those that do. They go to the pain of saying, I'm sorry, I was... Thank you. Wrong. Would you forgive me? It's painful. Hang on, wait a minute. It's painful to give forgiveness. It's painful to give forgiveness. It's all painful, but he says, blessed are they. Without compromise. Again, I want to reiterate that. In fact, I, I've got a quote here by John Stott who said, we have no mandate to seek unity without purity of doctrine or of conduct. So this, this is not peace at any cost 
sweeping something under the rug or just going along with somebody's wrong theology just to lock arms in ministry and have peace. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that deal with things and get things right between one another. We've got the Lord's Supper coming here in about two, two weeks for our church family. And I'm just going to take tonight and the next Sunday night to make sure that everything's all right between all church members here. Why? Because we've got to be at peace with one another. We're observing the, the body and the blood of the Lord in, in, in picture form in the sense of the bread and the grape juice. And, and, and we're going to do that. And it wouldn't be right for us to act like everything's all right when it's not. Blessed are the peacemakers. Finally, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. <clears throat> for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our Savior said, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. That means literally chase you down hunt you down. I, I have here for us today, Brother Canaan, a uh, student at Heartland, let me borrow a book called The Last Letters and Further Records of Martyred Missionaries of the China Inland Mission. It's got the forward. This is a rare collection here. It's got the forward by J. Hudson Taylor. And he wrote in the front of it, and he said, uh, he said this, I wish I could read more of it. There were 79 missionaries that he, that his documents, some of their very last words. I hadn't found it yet. I really hadn't got to spend a lot of attention time with it, but Brother Canaan was sharing with me that uh, he read one where the individual was writing and saying, I think they're coming. I must go. People giving their lives. This is during the Boxer Rebellion in China and they were hunting down Christians and they were literally on the run. And one of the letters I'm going to read to you from Miss Duncan, her and her husband and her child was killed. There was 26 children, I think, that were killed in this and the rest were adults and they gave their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you willing to do for the gospel? He says this, much as we mourn their loss and regret the poor needy China and the spared native Christians should lose their help, can we but rejoice in the master's joy as he welcomed his faithful ones and gave them the promised crown of life? Can we begrudge them the glorious exchange of earthly service for heavenly triumph? Shall we not rather pray that those whose privilege it may be uh, to press forward and, and close the broken ranks may have grace given to them to say to the same master who is still asking, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Here am I, send me. And may we all have grace to say, I have nothing too precious for my Lord. J. Hudson Taylor. And then I read, here, the words of some other martyrs, Ignatius, who said, only pray for strength. This is during the first century. Only pray for strength uh, to be given to me from within and from without that I may not only speak, but also may be willing and that I may not merely be called a Christian, but also be found to be one. Polycarp, 80 and six years have I served him and never did he in, never did he me any wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king, my savior? And thus he died as a martyr. 
John Huss. My Lord Jesus Christ was bound with a harder chain than this for my sake. Why then should I be ashamed of this rusty one? And then I read the words here of Miss Duncan who says, I'm writing this as it may be my last to you. Who knows but that we may be with Jesus very soon. This is only a wee note to send to our dear love, uh, to all of our dear loved ones, and to ask that you not feel too sad when you know that we have been killed. We have committed, in, we have committed you all into God's hands. He will make a way for you all. Try and be good children. Love God. Give your hearts to Jesus. This is your dear parents' last request. You're loving Papa, Mama, and we, Jenny. Bless it. Some would say, what a loss. Jesus would say, what a gain. If you exhibit the character of Christ, you'll be opposed by those who don't. I got to be honest with you. I know nothing of that type of persecution. I know nothing of it. How sad that we give up a lot quicker due to a lot less. Will American Christians face persecution? We are. In much of a much less severe, but who's to say we won't face something of this magnitude? Christians living in Germany never suspected they would face what they faced. Christian pastors living in Russia never suspected that they would face what they faced. Why should we be any better? Are we any better than our master? He was persecuted. He gave his life for us. Are we any better? No, the servant is no better than the master, right? They are persecuted. If you follow Jesus, I mean, seriously, if, if you're willing to follow Jesus, then you're going to be ridiculed. Oh, here comes the preacher. Everybody stop talking like you were. I mean, that's a mild, mild form. Here comes sister so-and-so going to throw down the word, huh? At the workplace, Right? Here comes Holy Joe. Here, here comes that teenager carrying that Bible to class. Right? A little bit of ridicule. Your family. I don't understand why you go to church. I don't understand. On a morning like this, you know what it would be like to be out on the lake fishing and it's crappie season. Come on, I mean, it's about time for crappie to start hitting pretty hard. What are you doing here? Loving the Lord. But you may be ridiculed, you may be insulted, you may be slandered. Somebody might take something. They'll, they'll take your stand and, and twist it. They'll upbraid you for following Jesus. They may put you to, to flight. You, the day may come. And I'm just saying, friend, listen, it may be that all that's going on in America is just kind of shaping things up and Christians are really going to be tested. Well, to make you run. 
There is a time to run. There is a time to flee to the mountains, just like Paul did. And they got from one town to another. They were tortured. They were beaten. They were stoned. Are we any better? We don't deserve any better treatment. Many of them were killed. Many look at us as being insensitive because we stand for the truth. We shouldn't be insensitive in the way that we stand for the truth. But we cannot, shall not back down on what the Word of God has said and says. We cannot. They may ridicule our stand on the Bible as the authoritative uh, source. They may ridicule our stand and say that we are too narrow to believe there's only one way to salvation. They may say we're too narrow to, to go by what the, what the Word of God says. Some of you may not get good grades in class because you won't agree to their positions on evolution and you'll get docked because you are a, a creationist. It's happening. It's not like it will happen. It is happening. They call us intolerant because we will not endorse or support transgenderism or same-sex marriage. Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar set up this image that probably strikingly resembled him. And he wanted everybody to participate in his God delusion. My brother-in-law called it, Brother Joe Decker. I heard him preach at a GIBF meeting. Such a great message. And they were believing that God delusion. He wanted everybody to believe the delusion that he was God. Are you listening to this? And he said, you bow down or I'm throwing you in the fiery furnace. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, they said this, we're not buying into your God delusion thing. They didn't say it mean. They didn't say it in a, in a wrong way. They just said, no, we won't bow down and worship. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But the furnace gets you closer to God, friend. I said, the furnace gets you closer to God. And there was one walking around in there in the midst of that furnace, fire, fiery furnace with them. And the king said, hey, come here. Didn't we throw just three men in there? But I've counted five times. And there is, I don't know if he counted five times. I bet he, I guarantee he counted more than once. He counted, he said, listen, I, I know we threw three in, but I see four. Do you see four? I see four. Look at that. There's four. One, two, three, four. Four of them. You know why? Because God was with them in the fiery furnace. Some of you are going to be denied a promotion at work because you will not go along with the delusion. You refuse to call Jim Jane. I'm not going to do it. Your daddy and mama called you Jim. I'm calling you Jim. Amen. You, you're born a male. I'm calling you male. You're born a female. I'm calling you female. I, I'm, not, I'm not discriminating against you. That is not discrimination. In fact, rather, we can be rather consistent about this. God is against any sin, sexual sin outside of marriage, any sexual involvement, any sexual fulfillment outside of the marriage. Are you listening to me? I'm, I'm giving you Bible right here. Bible right here that says it is marriage between one man, one woman. That's Bible. That means this. That is the, are you listening to me? I'm just trying to tell you, we are going to face persecution for this. We, we uh, many, in fact, it's really set up pretty well because all this is being live streamed right now. What I'm saying right now, I, I guarantee you someday, maybe in the near future, what I'm saying to you right now will be snatched from our website. It could be, or some other pastor's website that's preaching. And this would be considered hate speech. And now that we've all been on lockdown, everybody's on live stream. So the scene is set to make a real move against bigoted Christians. But I am not being bigoted, I'm being biblical. Amen. 
And, and we love those that are given to same-sex attraction and God can deliver you from that. He saved some from that in the, in the Old Testament. He saved some from that in the New Testament. Paul said, such were some of you. And he talked about those that were effeminate and those that were abusers of themselves with mankind. In other words, he's saying in a lesbian relationship, there's one that's more feminine and there's one that's more masculine, even though she's a female. And Paul says, that's how some of you were, but God changed your life. If God changed your life, he doesn't approve of how it used to be. That is not discrimination because we will indiscriminately say that if you are engaged in pornography, you are going against the created order. You say that, that same-sex attraction, that, that transgenderism, that's, that's wicked. So is pornography. So is sex outside of marriage prior to marriage. That's called fornication in the Bible. And God condemns that. Why? Because it's not a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. He condemns adultery. He condemns bestiality. I'm telling you, he condemns homosexuality. Why? Not because he's a discriminant God, but because he is God and he created order. I was surprised this week to hear that even the Vatican recognized that. Shame on Baptists that are less biblical than the Vatican. And thinking, well, preacher, I mean, it's a new day in time. Nothing to do under the sun, friend. I'm just here to say, he's still Mr. Potato Head. And she is still Mrs. Potato Head. I refuse, I refuse, Brother Ted, to call her, call, I refuse to call Mr. Potato Head, Potato Head. No, Hasbro's coming out with it this fall, I understand. Mr. Coffee, better watch out. Come on, leave toys alone. Really? Hasbro caving in. Why? They didn't do that a few years ago. No, when Toy Story came out, it was Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head. That messed up the whole movie. Just potato head? No, 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 no. He's got a personality. She's got a personality. Leave him alone. Where's the days of G.I. Joe by Hasbro? Where's those days? Anyways. Okay, you say, you're just, you are, you are, you are making stuff up. No, number one, I'm not making stuff up. Um. And, I, and, I, and you might say this, you're, you're overreacting. It's not going to get bad. You're not going to be persecuted. You're not going to be fine. You're not going to lose your taxes up status. You're not going to do jail time because you've preached this. Maybe not, but maybe so. And, and you're going to face this at the workplace. I've talked to people that are in, in banking and in people that are in education and people that, that are in other realms of, of, of serving the public and the pressure is on. The indoctrination process has ramped up. 
And persecution, as John Stott said, is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. That's what we have. I can't be reconciled to a value system that denies God's created order. See, the Equality Act is really going to bring heat here, should it pass. And I don't know, I watched this week as to where it is. But see, then we're, what we're gonna, what's going to happen is all that's going to be applied to churches and we will have to let people choose between the men and women's restroom. But we're not going to do that. I said, we're not going to do that. If we have a sixth grader, and we've had some of this already, we've dealt with it already, church. Where you have a young person that, that is a female, born female, that wants to go to the men's room or vice versa. We've already dealt with that. It's coming. It's not, no, wait a minute. It's not coming. It's here. But now what the law is going to say, the Equality Act, or in many ways, the Inequality Act, what it's going to say is that you have to let them choose. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. Well, you're going to be fined. Well, I'm, not, I'm sorry, you can find me, but I, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to change there. And I'm not, I'm not being bigoted. I'm not being mean-spirited about it. I'm just simply saying, uh, we're, we're not going there. I'm not, I'm not buying into your delusion. I remember one man that's really quick on his feet. Uh, a, a young lady stood up and said, uh, his name's Ben Shapiro. Many of you are familiar with Ben Shapiro. And, and, and this young lady stood up to kind of confront him about transgenderism and says, well, why, why can't if I am a girl but I want to be a boy, why can't I just say that? He, says, he said this, I'm 80 years old. And she said, excuse me? He said, I'm 80 years old. And she said, no, you're not. And he was at the time probably, I don't know how old he was, maybe in his 30s. I don't know. I don't know. He looks pretty young. And he says, listen, just because I call myself 80 years old does not mean that I'm 80 years old because I biologically can't be 80 years old. I am as old as I am. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> See, according to the Equality Act, I'm just simply saying to you that we will be expected to hire people that are transgender or homosexual, that's what the law will say. They will say, you can't, you can't deny them employment here. That means I, I would need to be required to hire somebody that, that wants to be on church staff here because, even if they are, are, are homosexual. And all the while they're denying what the Bible's saying. And all the while they're going against our, our church constitution and bylaws. It's coming. I don't relish that. Honestly, I get nervous in those situations. I don't like it. I, you, you know what I mean? When you're put on the spot and something, I mean, in times I've been invited to pray, you know, before the city council and I enjoy that opportunity. There's something about that scene that, that does something inside of me that makes me nervous. Leonard Ravenhill said this, the early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today, the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. Preacher, what you've said today may cause somebody not come back to this church. And I'm not trying to run anybody off. And I, I hope it's come across clear. This is not hate speech. Actually, this is love speech. What, what do you, <laughs> you are so, you are so twisted. How do you say that that's love speech? God loves you. He made you. He's got a created order that is for your best. You're violating it. You're messing your own self up. That's love speech. 
Uh, one more quote from Ravenhill. He said, the church right now, just talking collectively, we understand local churches, but he just said, Christianity right now has more fashion than passion. We want to be in vogue with our society around us because it's trendy. He said, it's more pathetic than prophetic prophet type preaching that calls people out for sin, that still calls sin, sin. It's more superficial than supernatural. Preacher, this may hurt your offerings. I'm telling you, this is going to like cause the whole thing to go down. I, if it goes down because of that, I'd rather go down with the ship. But I don't believe it's going to go down because it's the Lord's ship. And it's the old ship of Zion that's still sailing. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount demonstrates that it takes an outworking of what God does in us to be right with those who are around us without compromise and even in the face of persecution. <clears throat> I told the per folks <clears throat> Friday night, <clears throat> for the next 20 minutes, you're going to think I forgot this is a marriage retreat because I preached on discipleship, denying yourself, seeing clearly who Jesus is. I mean, we just spent a good 20 minutes walking through Mark 8 and Mark 9 about the transfiguration, about those disciples that couldn't cast out a demon because they hadn't prayed and fasted about it. We covered how that Jesus said, cut off your hand, cut off your foot, pluck out your eye. <laughs> what a marriage retreat. But the reason we dealt with that is because the very next chapter is chapter 10 when the Pharisees approach Jesus and say, can a man put away his wife for any cause? And Jesus said, in the beginning it was not so because in the beginning, this is what Jesus said. So if you had a problem just a moment ago, I don't anticipate that anybody necessarily does, but if you had a problem with anything that I said a moment ago about male and female and not, not all the other options, then, then here's what Jesus said. Male and female made he them. That's what he said. So if you got an issue, take it to Jesus. I'm just his messenger. Okay. Um, we dealt with that. You know why? Because we've got to focus on Christ before we focus on one another. And if we'll get this right vertically, we can be right horizontally. Hang on. If you're having marriage conflict, you're having marriage problems, it's not romance. It's righteousness. Romance will come. Romance, you can get back to romance. But I guarantee you, you can go spend $50 on just the steak, let alone, you don't even get sides with that. That's just meat. And you, you can't share <laughs> cheap. And then buy a side, you can share the sides, they're big. It's prime say, I'm just, I'm, what was I talking about? I, I'm saying it doesn't matter the ambiance of the atmosphere and the price of the meal. If things aren't right here, it doesn't matter how much money you put down on that with a good tip. It's not going to make it right. But if you'll get right with God, then you can get right with one another and then go back out and eat. I'm telling you, you're going to enjoy that second meal a lot better. 
Because it's not romance, it's righteousness. You need to be merciful to your kids. Do you need to be pure in your motive with your kids? Do you need to be at peace with your kids? Do you need to, you need to keep parenting even though they may be resisting you? Persecuting you? Maybe not persecuting. Slandering. Talking bad about you. Talking bad to you. Well, you could just fly off the handle and give them a piece of your mind, but I'm telling you, that's not what Jesus said to do. He said, get things right here, then you get things right here. Dear God, we need help right here. We need help. And we know that the type of help that we need can only come from you. I pray you'd help us, dear Lord. Help us as believers today. Help us to have things right with you and have things right with one another so we can be the salt and light that we ought to be. Help those that aren't saved today, dear God. I've preached to Christians today. There may be somebody here that doesn't know you as Savior. I pray, dear Lord, that you'd help them come to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together here this morning.